Let me tell you a story. Four German friends met at university. One of their mates was a CTO at a small company who was stunned by the serious lack of process for recruitment or payroll and absolutely no software in sight. It was so inefficient. This inspired the friends to found Personio. Since then, they built it into an $8.5 billion company, Europe's biggest in the space. Not bad for a bunch of students, huh? The reason they've got so big is they solve a big problem for business leaders. They make tedious, time-consuming HR processes easy, so you can focus on more important things. Their software handles stuff like booking time off, of course, but also includes joined-up experiences for hiring, onboarding, offboarding, reporting, you name it, they do it. So, if you're leading a small or medium-sized business and want to spend less time and effort on HR admin, then book a demo at personio.com forward slash secretleaders. That's personio.com forward slash secretleaders. There's a link in the show notes. We're in the public eye very much so, like to varying degrees over the years. So I had a lot of shame about what everyone was going to think, not just people around me or people in the in my kind of circle of the industry but you know I was like is this going to get written about in the press or in the paper or you know is this going to I was anxious about that and then the world was on fire no one gave a shit. That's Henry Holland the man behind the fashion brand House of Holland. Henry had to call in the administrators at the start of the pandemic so we're here to find out what happened because failure is our best teacher. Henry today is very content. He's now onto his second company, Henry Holland Ceramics, which is where we recorded from. So you're going to hear the sounds of a ceramic studio in the background. How did Henry end up here? Henry had always dreamt of being in the upper echelons of the fashion industry. But that's not what he was doing when he got his shot. I was working at the time uh, in teen magazines. My, one of my first jobs was the fashion editor of Smash Hits magazine, which people might remember. Um, and uh, I, was, um, I was working as a fashion editor. I was wanting to be a part of the fashion world, not the part that I was in at all. Um, and I was kind of, quote-unquote, I sort of considered myself a fashion groupie. I was obsessed with the kind of upper echelons of the London fashion scene and I wanted to be a part of it and managed to become a part of it in some ways by being on the dance floor of many parties and, you know, on in the kind of, on that scene, as it were. So I created a series of T-shirts which kind of professed my love for lots of these designers in quite a sexually explicit way <laughs> um, I guess you could say um, where uh, they were the rhyming couplets about some of the designers that I loved and adored and really admired Cause Me Pain, Hedy Slimane Do Me Daily, Christopher Bailey Get Your Free, Con Giles Deacon and You Who, Gareth Pugh and they were really bold kind of it was a very specific time in fashion luckily for all of us it was a period called new rave when everything was uh, fluorescent and we walked around looking like a pencil case most of the time and uh, so they were you know very obnoxious and in your face as big as the slow big as the lettering i could get and the brightest neon colors i could find and um, yeah, I started these T-shirts just as uh, something for me and my friends to wear to club nights like Boombox and other things that were happening at the time, like Nag 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 and all of these electroclash nights that were happening. And initially that was just my thinking, you know, I had no plan, I had no 
strategy. I had no kind of forward thinking on this. This was a sort of hobby of mine that I was just doing for myself and my friends. And yeah, and it, it resonated with a lot more people than I anticipated and uh, really quickly exploded into pretty much, I'd say, yeah, within the th first three months, uh, a global business, which was incredible, petrifying, exciting, thrilling, um, all of those things. They winged it and grew fast because Henry is driven, impatient and ambitious. But these characteristics would also contribute to their downfall. Within the first year, we'd expanded into sunglasses. We did with Linda Farrow. We did handbags with Mulberry. We did shoes. We did denim. We did dresses. So it was a full, uh, it was a full kind of ready-to-wear commercial fashion brand. In the sort of terms of the industry, it was a contemporary fashion brand. So you know, you've got the sort of super high-end luxury brands like your Givenchy's, your Versace's, and then your more kind of streetwear brands. And the contemporary market sits somewhere in the middle. As a reference point, Kenzo or something like that was probably kind of one of the big global brands at the time that was really huge in, in our space. And so, yeah, by the time the brand had closed, we were, you know, a, a global business. We'd, you know, we'd grown and shrunk again. So at some points we had over 100 stockists around the world and we worked in all of the different categories that you could think of within fashion. I'd done collaborations with many, many different brands in different categories as well, uh, from product design to packaging design, from food to drink to hosiery, underwear. You know, we'd, we'd really worked in a lot of different spaces within the fashion scene. Henry couldn't believe people were excited by what they were doing. He was living his dream life. But that was the beginning and middle of the company's life cycle. Over time, it became harder and harder to keep the magic going. It's a tricky industry, fashion, because it, 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 by nature, you know, if you're, if you're in fashion, you, you're at danger of being out of fashion and it goes in waves. And so, you know, you're, if you create a really strong aesthetic and a really strong brand that resonates at a certain period of time, if that, if that brand is, is strong enough, then it's, it's hard to evolve it to match the, you know, the time, the, the kind of the trends of the moment, I guess. Um, so you can kind of be a victim of your own success in some ways, because if you create such a strong, uh, you know, aesthetic and brand, then it's not always going to be what's in, in style. When Henry started, it was just fun. The T-shirts were an expression of fun, so it became part of the brand. But as things went on, Henry found himself having less fun, but still having to pretend he was. Having to go out there being like, everything's great, you know, we're having so much fun and, you know, this collection's better than the last one and everything's bigger and better and stronger and in reality. That was what I found the hardest, was almost like not being authentic and true to, the, you know, the outside world. I found that, re you know, that kind of duality of just like professing everything was perfect which is, again, is something that the fashion industry is guilty of. You know, you're always, you're selling a dream. So you're always having to sort of continue to do that, even though things maybe, are, you know, are not as great. So where did it all go wrong? What was the turning point? I think it was probably just my being too ambitious 
maybe and kind of wanting to grow too too big too quickly you know expand into different categories i think probably when we launched into menswear um you know because we hired a new team to deliver that we you know we spent so much more money we instead of doing you know two huge marketing events a year which was the fashion shows we were doing four um you know everything sort of doubled and the revenue didn't double along with it um and you know to facilitate that growth we took out a business loan and so it added more financial pressures and you know we hired more staff and all of those things that we were anticipating would give us the return and then they they didn't and i think maybe not um not shrinking back quick enough you know due to kind of ambition and all of the other things that many entrepreneurs suffer from is like you know a positive mental attitude and all of those things that you think it's going to turn itself around. Problems have been brewing for a while, but at the start of the pandemic, Henry found himself at a crossroads. I could see that, you know, financially we were, we were, it, it was going to be hard for us to carry on. We were going to have to go through another fundraising round, um, you know, and the, I'd only ever done one fundraise after 13 and a half years. You know, we were fully self-funded and independent up to that point. And, I found it really hard and really challenging. Um, and I just, I think in myself, I knew that I'd come to the end of the road of kind of my sort of real love and joy for what I was doing. Uh, you know, it would it become hard for me personally and emotionally and all those other things. And I think when you're a creative, working in a creative field, me personally, I'm not Adele. I can't write a smash hit out of heartbreak, basically. I I just, I need to create from a space of fun and joy and happiness. And that was very much what the brand was about. So trying to create something that, you know, was instilling joy in other people when you were miserable was really, really challenging. Um, and so I think it was a combination of those things, you know. It was like, it was, okay, we either go out and do another fundraise and, you know, continue on this path or you know it's time to to call in the call in the administrators essentially and um i i made that decision for myself that i wasn't ready i wasn't ready no i didn't want to you know go forward and do another fundraise and i found it um the the times leading up to that was were really uh painful and hard and then the minute that i'd made that decision it felt like a release and a relief and then you know, looking back now, I have zero um, sort of, uh, I just have fondness to look back on. You know, I feel like I stepped away at the right time. I, I never look back on it like with anything other than, you know, absolute excitement and love for everything that we achieved and, and pride in everything that we achieved as a team. The business is still going, but Henry's no longer involved. He doesn't have any equity. He didn't make any money out of it. They brought in the administrators to make sure their suppliers got paid as much as possible. So Henry walked away, wondering how he'd pick himself up. Definitely there was a crisis in confidence at the time. And you feel, you know, obviously there is so many things wrapped up in this. You feel like you failed in trying to do something. At the same time, I had that balance of feeling that relief and also feeling that pride and and kind of no resentment. You know, I'd got to that point on my personal journey by the time this happened. Because um, I think I'd started to have all of those feelings as it could, the business started to kind of struggle a bit. You know, those feelings set in. 
Um, and then again, because, you know, I had the luxury of not having to be out there in the world for two years and people asking me questions about it, it really gave me a period of, um, of healing that I could go through in private and, you know, not have to answer questions about what's going on. Um, and of all the things going on in the world at that time, the world was on fire in many ways, you know. No one gave a shit about what was going on with me and my, my brand, which was in many ways a real blessing. The thing that stands out about Henry is how genuinely happy he seems to be for this experience, in spite of how it ended. And there are lessons in that if you've just experienced a big failure too. Reflect on all of the great things that happened and all of the things that you did achieve. It's really important because they just disappear. Because all you can think about is the most recent part, which is potentially the, faili- the failing. Um, like, remember why you did it in the first place. You know, however far you got on that journey, like, you got there. You got way further than so many other people that just sit in their bedrooms or around their kitchen tables being like, I've got this idea, and they never actually do anything with it. So, like, you know, you're miles ahead of millions of other people. Um, And also, I mean, for me, I'm so fortunate in that both of my businesses that I've started have come off the back of me just finding something that I love to do, and I've then managed to create them into a business. And so then my my part of that sort of advice would be just go out and find something else that fills you with happiness and joy and you know and use that as a and channel your energies in into that henry holland pottering about in his studio happy for all the good times however they end thanks for listening to this episode i've been your host dan murray serta If you like the episode, please hit follow or subscribe. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.